and welcome to the Auto Week podcast. We're still doing it. Um, we're here with Wesley. That's me, Mr. Mike Bryson. Hello. Mr. Robin Warner. Hi, guys. And somebody extremely important, Bud Tanker. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, and what is what is your title now, Bud? It's uh, it. I think it has gotten longer recently. Well, I'm I'm the president of the Penske Corporation. Okay. So I look over our businesses along with Roger and many other fine people at Penske Corporation. Um, but I also am, of course, involved with the Grand Prix of Detroit, and I'm the chairman of the uh, Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix. Okay, fantastic. Now, president of Penske Corporation, Bug Denker. Correct. Now, Penske Corporation owns Penske Entertainment, and Penske Entertainment is what owns now the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series. Is that correct? That is correct. As of uh, three weeks ago, we uh, purchased the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, and the IndyCar series, and then what they have, they also have a production company called IMS Productions that produces the Pacers games, the bull riding, and of course all the IndyCar races, and we, we're now the owners of that. So the, the Holman and family, um, Holman and company have owned it for over 70, 74 years actually. Yeah, since um, the mid-40s, late 40s, is, somewhere there? Yeah, Tony Holman bought it in the late 40s, and uh, now we're the, the owners of it as of January when we closed the deal. Um, but we're so excited. We're so involved. Um, we have a lot to do with the current management team there, who are a very good management team. Um, but we're looking to have our expertise, our resources, our working capital to make the speedway, but also make the series even better than it is today. Yeah, sounds great. Now, real quick, just get the management stuff out of the way. As president of Penske Corporation, who is the president of Penske Entertainment that reports to you and goes through that process? Well, Roger Penske will be the chairman of Penske Entertainment, um, but under Penske Entertainment, there's two subsidiaries. One is the IndyCar Series, okay. which is run by Jay Fry. He's the president. He'll still remain president of the IndyCar Series. And then Mark Miles is the CEO of everything. Um, he'll be the CEO of Penske Entertainment overseeing the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, okay. Okay. IMS Productions, and the Series. So you'll have, you'll have Doug Bowles. Doug Bowles currently is the president of the Speedway. You'll have Jay Fry, president of the series, reporting into Mark Miles, who are poured into the board that we'll be announcing here soon. Got it. Very good. I love that title. I want to be the CEO of everything one day. That's a, that's a great title. But uh, you talk about the, the Speedway. I mean, it's such an iconic place. There's so much history there. We don't want to see it change too much, but what do you guys see? Well, you're, you're right. There's so much tradition there, and we're learning more about the traditions. You know, we typically, when I say we, Team Penske, we typically see our motor coach, the garage and pit lane. Exactly. But as you get out now and explore 1,000 acres of what we bought there, um, it's quite amazing. We own a golf course now, right, the Brickyard Crossing. Uh, we own a lot of parking lots around the area where people do park. <laughs> we own locations where they service the trucks and maintenance facility. We've been in all of those. An interesting fact, there are 165 restrooms at the Motor Speedway. <laughs> How about that fact? And uh, we've walked many of them along with Roger. And uh, I think you're going to see some upgrades in the restrooms. I think you'll see some upgrades in the customer experience. Um, I think you'll see some upgrades in other announcements that we'll make here in, in January and February after we close the deal. Um, but we're, we've got to ensure also we keep that rich tradition, as you mentioned, alive and well. And you will see that. Uh, we're not there to, to, to add the apron next year. We're not there to change you know, the formats or what happens mm -hmm. there. Um, we think they've got a pretty good formula. We're there now to add to the experience the consumer and the fan will see when they enter those gates beginning here in May. Well, with all the renovations they have had out there over the last you know, five to ten years – 
it's been very subtle. I mean, if you were to drive by, you would say it still looks like the old place, spruced up a little bit, but it hasn't gotten gaudy or, you know, right. commercial. It still looks like, you know, the brickyard. It and does. I think that's, that's really cool. And it is cool um, because in, in prepare for the 100th running of the, uh, of the race in 2016, they received a $100 million bond from the state of, of Indiana. Um, will now take over that bond repayment process uh, from the state. But they use that $100 million to really update along the front straightaway. Um, new suites, you know, new new entrances and exits, new bathrooms in that area as well. You guys um, are big on bathrooms. So we're big on bathrooms. It's customer experience, <laughs> well, right? Gosh, with 300,000 people that come yes. at the end of May. It's a popular place. I, yeah, it's 165 place. actually sounds a little low to me. Yeah, so you've got to have the, the right place, the, the right concession stands, the right number of people to man those things. Obviously, the track is in tremendous shape. The infrastructure is in really good shape, actually. Um, but it's those amenities that we want to focus on to change. Um, but also announce some exciting things around the shouldering. We call them shoulder events, concerts, entertainment, activities that are going to happen beyond the speedway that people want to come for as well. The snake pit is still there. Um, <laughs> it's now electric music entertainment that draws 27,000. It's a lot tamer than it used to be. It is. It is, <laughs> it is a lot tamer. You're right. But it is still a very popular place. And it's also a way that we can draw that 18 to 24-year-old into the, into the speedway that may not come otherwise. And that's very important for us. Yeah, absolutely. Now, <clears throat> I know that there's been a lot of proactivity in this regard. Penske himself has done this, but there is still a big fear, uh, unfounded or no, about Penske, the racing team, being a part of Penske, uh, the ownership of, right. of the IndyCar series. So what, in you, what are you personally doing? What is the Penske Corporation doing to quell all those fears? Well, that's a very good question. And one of the, one of the key things we focused on when we originally were offered this opportunity was what how is that going to be perceived, right, by the fans, by the race team, by the drivers? And um, so we announced a few things. First of all, Roger's coming off managing one of the teams. He was managing Will Power this past year. He'll no longer be doing that. He'll be in an agnostic role there in terms of running, overlooking the series. Um, but also we have some very good people. We have Jay Fry running the racing series. That will continue. We have Kyle Novak, who's running the competition. That will continue. We have Ari Leyendijk and Max Pappas, who are the stewards. They're, they're the rules makers. What happens on the racetrack during the race, that will continue. And for us, we have got to walk a very fine line between what happens on the racetrack and what happens off the racetrack. Roger and my, our role is really to ensure we find sponsorship, we find revenue to bring into the series, okay? We have a, ho hopefully another OEM we can bring into the series in the future as well. Another engine supplier. Another engine supplier. Yeah. Those are the things that we're working behind the scenes on, but we're not going to be involved in that day-to-day -day management in terms of the competition and what happens because we can't. Um, we have to have a fair play, a fair playing field. A, every sport has to have integrity, including the IndyCar series, and that's very, very important to us. And the good news is... If you talk to Mario, you talk to AJ, you talk to Chip Ganassi, uh, Michael Andretti, you know, Dale Coyne, I think f to a, for a man, they're all pleased with this acquisition. They're all pleased that it's Roger that's going to be overseeing this series, a man of high integrity, a man of high credibility um, versus something else or a media company or a, a private equity company that could be involved. We know the sport. We know that it has to be run on a fair and ethical basis, and we intend to do that. And we, we look for a report card at the end of the year, mid-part of the year. How are we doing? And that's going to be provided by the team owners, the fans, and the drivers. Here's the problem you have. 
<laughs> and uh, this is free consulting. This I'm not even going to charge. Yeah, there's no invoice in the mail. Penske has already won, correct me if I'm wrong, 18 Indianapolis 500s? That's correct, yeah. And if he continues to win any 500s, now Joe Race fan, maybe slightly disgruntled, can say, ah, well, he owns a series. Of course he wins them all. That's the real perception problem you guys are going to have to face sure. is you've already been so successful in the series and, in fact, at the 500 itself. Sure. So do you have any ways of addressing that fear? Like I said, unfounded or no, of that fear, that concern, what do yeah. you do? Well, I, I think, as I mentioned, um, we've got to ensure that we allow the people that are running it now to remain to run it. Okay, We can't be involved in the technical inspection area. We can't be involved with, as the cars go through the grid you know, to be expected for qualifying. Right? That is something that we can't be involved in at all. Um, so you know, the transparency that we're going to have is going to be very clear. Okay, the transparency of what we're going to be doing at the racetracks every day when Roger and I and others are there is very clear. Um, the transparency we'll have in rules making will be very clear, and that's to be driven by Jay Fry and their teams, not by us. Our role, as I mentioned, is to find revenue. It's to find OEM, find engine manufacturers that want to be involved in the sport, to ensure the promoters are happy, because you have to have promoters, like we do in Detroit, that have to run these events, to have to put on great events. Those are the things that we're involved in, that I'm involved in right now, um, but nothing around rules making, nothing around technical pieces, nothing around what's going to happen on the racetrack. That is their job. But we, we definitely want to talk a little bit about Detroit here in a minute, but this r racing and secrets just don't happen. I mean, this, this, this deal came out of nowhere. Um, was this, did this come together as quickly as we think it did, or has this been in the works for a lot longer and it was just a you know, the best cut secret, secret in sports. Yeah. Well, as you know, there are not many secrets in motorsports or any other sport for that matter. <laughs> right. And, uh, it was funny, a funny story. There was a rumor a couple weeks ago about us buying the, the formula one Mercedes sure. team. Right. Um, <laughs> but I had a reporter come to me at Homestead and said, you know why I knew, I knew it was not true because if you were, no one would know about it. <laughs> Good point. Right. So, uh, uh that means Penske's actually buying Red Bull. That must be. <laughs> no, you've heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, no. But to your point, it was, it was that fast. It was, it was a chance meeting that Roger had on the grid in Laguna Seca when Tony said... Was it that recently? It wow. was. That wow. was just a couple of weeks before the announcement. It was. And it was him saying, can we get together uh, in the next few weeks? I want to talk to you about something. This wasn't Laguna Seca 2017. No, or... no, 19. <laughs> just wow. just uh, September, mid-September. That's incredibly quick. And then, at, and then the next, the following week, I believe it was, we had our, our banquet in Indy, uh, the championship banquet. And uh, Tony asked Roger to fly in a couple hours early, which, uh, which he did. Uh, met at the Columbia Club, which is a club in Indianapolis downtown, and laid out to Roger, quite emotionally, by the way, laid out to Roger his, his view, the family's view of where they wanted the series and where they wanted IMS to move to. And the fact is they, you know, they had thought about you know, forming a, a committee, the family did, because um, Mary Holman died you know, last November in 2018. The family was deciding then that they had, and as Tony, using his words, had reached the point where they could go in the series and with a speedway and needed somebody else to come in and had talked to other folks um, but realized that the passion that Roger has, the knowledge that Roger has, the stewardship that Roger has and Penske has for the series and for IMS is like unlike any other. And decades long, no less. And decades long. Our 50th running of the Fendi 500 was just this year. That's amazing. So, so those are the reasons that Tony and the family chose to talk to Roger, and within that six-week time period, 
our CFO, our legal people internally, um, ourselves got involved. And I would say, you know, we have 64,000 people working at Penske. I think if I counted them up, there were probably 10 people that were involved in this transaction. <laughs> and the other, you know, 64,000, whatever it was, you know, didn't know about it and were as surprised as you were mm. when we announced this on that, on that Monday morning. Do each of those 10 get a bathroom at the NES <laughs> we made that leaves 155 left? I think that's pretty good They might number. get a ticket. <laughs> well, Bud, that's, that's an amazing story because, like I said, that doesn't happen in racing or no. in, even in business today. And, and quite a business deal that turned out to be. Uh, we'll never know the price tag, it sounds like. But, uh, but it does sound like it was a deal where the stewardship was as, as important as the dollar figure. Well, it was. And I got to give the Tony and, and his sisters and the Holman family and the trust uh, a lot of credit for that, to, to realize that they've owned it for over 70 years. Who's going to own it for the next 70 years, right? Who's going to ensure the integrity? And you mentioned before the word traditions stay in place there. And Roger and I and our team were walking the Speedway last Thursday and Friday, just walking it. We were in the turn two suites for the first time. Okay, we were in turn three. I have not been back to turn three because I'm always <laughs> in the garage. And we just saw these amazing features of the racetrack and things that we think can be tweaked here and there to make it even a better experience. And you see the glean in Roger's eyes and the, and the kind of giddy up in his step when he walks through there. I just realized it's a podcast. Both Mike and I are nodding. <laughs> so it, we, this is it not is. a video. We are, we're both yeah, no, nodding is, in agreement. And that's, that's pretty exciting. It, yeah. It really is. So um, we are ultimately, we're in Michigan, we're in Detroit, we are Detroiters. Um, there is going to be a Detroit Grand Prix uh, as well. Yeah, two of them, actually, right? Yeah, that's right. One <laughs> Saturday, one Sunday. Exactly. It's still cool. We got the doubleheader here. And uh, so is there anything to announce in that regard? Well, today we're announcing, here it is uh, today um, on Tuesday, that we're announcing ticket sales are, are available. Um, so we've got at 7 o'clock this morning, our lines opened up and our internet opened up to uh, let people buy their tickets. We'll, we'll sell the grandstands out once again like we do typically. Um, we'll allow general admission tickets mm -hmm. to be sold as well, which are only $45, by the way, which includes transportation to and from the island in a bus here from the Renaissance Center. Yeah, that's right. Kobo. It used to be a $10 uh, cost. Now it's included in your price for $45. Kids and under, 12 and under, are free. Um, with a GA ticket. And then remember, on, on Friday, it's free pre-day, Comerica free pre-day. It's one of the great traditions of Detroit that people can come down for free. A lot of school children, a lot of high schools come down and experience our event for free. And there's a lot of exciting racing on that day. There really is. We yeah. got, we've got one extra racing series we're adding this year. It's called the Historic Trans Am Series. And Ooh. for those million people that line up along Woodward Avenue every year, and see those great pony cars, oh, yeah. right? The Chevelles, the GTOs, you know, the Plymouths, whatever it may be. Those cars are going to race on our track this year. And these are these are the actual cars from that era. And they're loud, they're thunderous, they're exciting, and they're going to race both Saturday and Sunday. The Trans Am Series will race also Saturday, Sunday. As you mentioned as well, we'll have IndyCar racing Saturday and Sunday. And, of course, the IMSA series, the sports car series, races Saturday. That's right. So there is reaction, action on the racetrack from Friday till Sunday, unlike any other racetrack in America. And, Bud, you guys have opened up the paddocks a lot for the fans, too. So it's not like this huge cost now to get down to the paddocks and, and check out the action down there. Great point. We used to charge $25 to go in the paddock on top of your ticket. Now it's free of charge. And that allows you to get close to the racers, close to the race cars. The beautiful Scott Fountain, you can now go back and you know walk around and take pictures of it. It's an immaculate, amazing facility. So we want to make this inclusive, and our prices are not changing from what they were last year. 
Um, they're the same prices we've had for years because we want this to be an inclusive event for families and for race enthusiasts, but also to ensure the price is not overwhelming somebody as well. $45, come on down, bring your kids free of charge, 12 and under. Anything, everything I've seen since you guys have taken over, I say you guys, Penske, and holistically, there's something new that makes that facility stronger and more suited for a race every year, more concrete laid instead of muddy floor and muddy ground, stuff like that. Is there anything uh, new in that regard that we can look forward to in 2020? Well, we, we, you know, we, we've got to be very stewards of the island as well. So, you know, what we've done is ensuring that anywhere we touch a blade of grass, we return it to what it was before we got there. That's very important for the park. Remember, this is a park that's used 52 weeks a year and it's used for the people of Detroit and the surrounding community. We want to be great stewards of that, and mind you, we do that. Um, we're now on and off the island faster than we've ever been. We've taken 15 days of being on the island off over the last four years, which is important to people that use the park. Um, we're going to add some extra grandstands. We're going to add um, a bigger grandstand in turn three. We found that turn three, which is the end of the straightaway. Mm, yeah, people yeah. loved seeing the passing going on there, so we're adding grandstands there. Um, we're making our grandstand on the back straightaway which is before turn seven larger because people want to see the cars coming down there at almost 200 miles an hour. And that's before you enter into the fountain section. Exactly right. Yeah. And then turn two, um, as you come off the front straightaway and turn two, just past pit out, pit out, these terms I use, um, we're making a grandstand there. We had a viewing platform. The feedback from fans said, put a grandstand there. And that's for the general admission folks. No oh, ticket great. required. So, so those are things that we're adding. And this is all based on the feedback from the fans. We do a survey every year, and the fans tell us what we did good, what we did bad. And um, so we're improving those areas that they mentioned for us to make even racing any, even better. But you got some competition this year, maybe a companion event, I guess you might want to call it, the, with the Detroit Auto Show now moving to the summer. How does that line up with the Grand Prix, and how do you guys think it might affect you know, what you guys got going on down there? Yeah, good question. We've got the, the, you know, the Auto Show has always been in January, right? Tough weather. It seems the worst weather of the year comes out and the Auto Show comes, but uh, that's all changing now. The Auto Show will start the week after our event. So we're actually, we will kick the summer off for Detroit. The month of, of June will be just mega. It'll be epic because you have our event, the Grand Prix. You also have the PGA event the same weekend. Uh, nobody wanted that, but because the Olympics mm -hmm. games coming this summer, it squished the PGA schedule to ours. That'll change again in 2021. But as you mentioned, the following week is the auto show where these thousands of journalists and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people will come to our city to watch and look at these great cars. And, and Rod Alberts and his team of the auto show have done a great job now of taking over Hart Plaza. You'll see outdoor displays there. You'll see indoor displays. Um, the, 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 of course, the charity preview is a big event they do for oh, charity yeah. every year. That'll be more of a summer chic event, um, inviting more young people there as well. So the Grand Prix will kick off an amazing summer. And then the end of June, of course, will be our downtown fireworks. Tony Michaels and the Parade Company do a great job with that. And so all month long, the downtown Detroit is going to be humming, beginning with the Grand Prix, you know, May 28th through, 20, through 31st. And the, and the Tigers are going to be better in uh, June of Go Tigers. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, what a, what a time to be in Detroit, though. Well, and it in, might be, yes. And yes. in case anyone's on the fence, I'm here to report that racing is way better than golf. Choose, <laughs> choose racing. Um, Bud, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate your insights and learning a little bit more about this uh, the deal. exciting new time period for IndyCar. Oh, it is. And, and, and the IndyCar series is a great momentum. 
Um, TV re- TV rankings were up. The, the view eyeballs were up last year. Not many series can say that. Not many sports can say that your your viewership was up. Mm-hmm. IndyCar was. More people were at the events than we've seen in previous past. Um, we look forward to being great stewards for the series, great stewards for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and also, of course, great stewards for Belle Isle, for the people that use it year-round. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And we're back. Um, yeah, Mr. Bud Danker went to go do other things. Yeah, being the president of Penske's, uh, go ahead. He had things to run. He had things to run. But we're here with somebody else now. Who somebody you might, else. Who you might know. Drives a car. Does some stuff. Uh, oh, Joseph Newgarden, the uh, last, uh, most recent IndyCar champ. The the king of kings. Thank you, Joseph, for joining us. How it's, you doing? I'm doing great. It's hard to follow up with. Oh, you have to go this way. It's Keep, encouraged. It's encouraged. Yeah, you don't have to. <laughs> We're talking. People can't see this, but you're talking about mic position yeah, here. You, don't you can you can you can croon however you want. This is it's so just uncomfortable to talk this way and in the mic. As far right? as I'm concerned, you can do whatever you want. Got it. You're the guest. Well, it's good to be here. It's hard to follow up with Mr. Danker. He is the master. Um, but I'm here promoting. I got my promoter hat on. I'm a part-time promoter, full-time race car driver. It's my occupation at Team Penske, but it's it's. So I the, enjoy visiting Detroit. I love it up here. Tell us, what are you promoting today, Joseph? Uh, so we're promoting the the start of the ticket sales. They started this morning, uh, which is great. It's always like Christmas morning for race fans. You get those are the ticket sales to the duel in Detroit, June 2020, or is it the end of May 2020? Either way. It's, 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 it's right the, after Indy. Yeah, it's the weekend the week after following Indy. the Indianapolis 500. I should know the dates, but I know yeah. it's the weekend after the 500. It is. Ooh, it is May 29th <laughs> through May 31st of 2020. We literally had it in front of our Yeah, we have faces. cheat sheets here, and we can't even yeah, find it, it was, on the cheat sheet. It was sheet. several inches away. We can't be faulted for that. But it is a great event. You know, the, the Detroit Grand Prix, uh, we like it because it's kind of home turf for us. You know, as Penske drivers, we, we've got Chevrolet in the backyard. Um driving for Team Penske. This is their backyard. So there's a there's a little added pressure there to do well, but I kind of like that. I like that it ramps it up, the intensity for us to do a good job. It you know, kind of makes it more meaningful if you're able to win the event. Yeah. Um, one thing we're not here to promote today is Wikipedia, as we've proven just a few minutes ago. But uh, I, did wanna, I did want to ask about your personal interest in the Detroit Grand Prix. Obviously, you've been successful here. You won last year. You won race one in 2019. Um, what is it about this track that you like? What is it about it that's challenging? Well, for me, it's it's a very technical racetrack. You know, it's all concrete, um, which can be a very difficult surface to figure out with with tires. Uh, you you know, you would. I think most people that are casual fans they wouldn't realize that. You know, there's there's big differences in tracks that we go to, not just between the surfaces of say an asphalt or a concrete, but also. You know, the, the sort of the depth of the surface, you know, the macro level of it. We study all that when it comes to the tires and the way they adhere, the way they heat, uh, the way they cool. Um, so generally, Detroit is, is a very cool running racetrack. Uh, the, the, it's difficult to build tire temperature because of the concrete. Um, so, you know, elements like that make it very difficult to build a race car that, that is fast. It just It's tough. It's tough to get the car to work. Um, and you're doing that in a very confined space. You know, Detroit is one of the most tight, confined racetracks that we go to. Yeah, but it's that room for error that is preciously 
preciously small here. Yeah, there's not a lot. And, and it's also could be quite high speed. You know, you go to turn one, turn two on the track and you're basically a fourth gear chicane. What is, what are the apex speeds of that? They, are they, do you get under a hundred or is it, is no, it above a hundred the oh, entire time? Yeah. Turn one, turn two, you're probably about 115, 120 miles per hour. Apex speed. So that's, apex a, that's speed, the minimum yeah. speed through those corners. Yeah. It's quick. I mean, it's, it's fast. Like you're, you're hauling the mail through there. It's still yeah. fourth gear. Um, and then you're, you know, in turn two, you're literally rising over a crest yeah. next to a concrete barrier and the things wanting to do a tail. And know, there's like a not you. so subtle crown in the road in places as well too, right? Very, very, very difficult. Very tricky. So you've got a lot of load on the car, a crown, like you said, it's falling away. It's kind of off camera on the exit. So it's just, it's, it throws everything at you that you wouldn't get on a conventional racetrack. And that's what makes it challenging. It's also what makes it fun because it's very, it's like riding a bull. Like you're trying to ride this bull, but in like a, you know, a, a 10 by 10 concrete barrier space. So it's just, but, really, but really Joseph, you're, and you're doing this five days after being on the track at Indianapolis. Yeah. I mean, you're back on this thing on Friday, you know, practicing and it's got to be an incredible mind adjustment, uh, in, in the time on that. I mean, you don't have no time at all to, transition do you it's a mental grind you know i think people you, you would assume while you're driving race cars you're just living it up having a great time you know it's pretty easy going but it, it is a mental grind to get through the month of may you know we're essentially there at ims for three weeks and you know just trying to get through every day of practice and the, the intensity that may brings i mean it, it's it's intense driving an indycar around the speedway well and now it's it's two races at the indianapolis <laughs> speedway yeah the indianapolis grand prix then the 500 and then a week goes by less than in two races back to back in detroit so yeah it's a lot of time in the race car yeah it's it's a it's a big pressure cooker you know and, and it's an important time for points if you're looking at this from a championship standpoint uh, the month of may is the biggest month you're going to have. You know, obviously the the Grand Prix here in Detroit is is right at the end of it. You know, you May 29th, 31st. That that's the finale of May, but you, you got the GP, you got the Indy 500, you got two Detroit races. That's the biggest chunk of change when it comes to points that you're going to get all year. It's 100 points for Indy, it's 100 points for Detroit essentially, and then 50 for the the Grand Prix. It, I mean, that can be your season make or break right there. You can get in a big hole or you could put yourself in a big lead for for the sort of the run up to the finish, but it's it's an important time to get things right, and that that gives you a lot of pressure. Well, my math teacher mother will love the fact that you brought up the points and counting those up in the month of May. Um, you were obviously good at math when it comes to championships. In three years at Penske, you won two championships. Your very first year in seventeen, and then you did it again in nineteen. I feel like nineteen was a very different season than seventeen. In terms of driver competition, where the teams were, the race, um, the race schedule, what, how was nineteen a challenge from a championship point of view? It was different, you know. I think the way we approached the year was was different. I, I my circumstantially, it was different for me. I joined the team in the end of two thousand sixteen, so seventeen was my first year. It, it was a a bit more difficult, um, you know, to get gelled and to get comfy right away. You know, so we came on very strong at the end of 2017, and I would say we won the 17 championship in the finish of the year. Whereas 19, you know, this now it's my third year at Penske. We really won that throughout the season. You know, we built ourselves a good points cushion right at the very beginning of the good year. Good month of May. We had a, we had a decent month of May. We had a decent lead into to Detroit. So you know, you hit the month of June, and we've we've got a pretty good points lead, and, and we were able to sort of just maintain that last year. So I, you know, I think that was, it was two different approaches, but, um, 
you know, both were effective at the end of the day. And now we just need to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we do even better? Because I think in 2020, we, we have more available as far as performance. You know, I, I thought we had a good year without a doubt. You know, we won the championship, so it, it, it's a solid year. But I think we can be better. I really do. I think we can perform better than what we've done this year. And, and that's, you know, it's one thing to say that, but, you know, the, the key is to figuring out exactly how you do that. And, Joseph, you uh, your boss owns the Speedway now, so there's no excuse not to win the 500, right? Is that, is that how that works? Yeah, is that part of the contract now? I, I, wish, I wish that's how it worked. <laughs> that would be very cool if that's how it worked. But, um, no, it's, a, you know, it's, it's exciting, like you said, having Roger – Roger, I think Roger Penske is is the number one person in the world uh, that's that's right for acquiring the Speedway and acquiring the IndyCar series. There's no there's no one that's better suited. He's got the business acumen. You know, he has the passion. He has the history. Um, you know, he he has everything necessary to to make that place run and go and be better than it was. You know, for the next day and for years to come. And I think there's there's no one that you're going to meet in the IndyCar series as far as teams or drivers or fans that is is unhappy about it. I mean, he's he's the right guy for for building the legacy of the sport and taking it to the to the next level. And and I think he's going to do that. What did Roger tell you and your teammates? Because obviously, he knew you were going to be asked about this. What did he tell you to tell the rest of the world about the decision of you being an IndyCar driver for his team? And then he also owns the series. You know, we haven't even talked about it, to be honest with you. He hasn't told us anything. Um, you know, I think what's great about Roger is, you know, if there's anyone if there, if there's anyone out there that has, you know, the integrity to, to be able to do it, it's Roger. And I think Roger understands that there's a, there's a, there's a strong line there. You know, there's going to be a line where, you know, on one end he's, he's part of the ownership group. And, and trying to make sure the whole ship is running well. And on the other side, you know, he has he has a team as well, and, and, and he wants the team to do well. But he has to be able to separate those, and, and I think if there's anyone that does that, it's Roger. Um, so, that's you know, look, that's the deal. He's got a lot of people looking at him. He, you know, racers are – they you know, if anything's going south or they see any foul play, they're, they're the ones that are going to spot it the quickest. And, and Roger knows that. So I think he's going to do a great job of trying to separate the two. So I just want to point out that uh, because this is uh, audio, there was not a cue card that Joseph pulled up and read off of. That was that was le- that was legitimately <laughs> off the cuff. But you know what, what? What speaks to this, if if I was on another team, you know, say I was driving for Ed Carpenter Racing still, and I saw that Roger acquired the Speedway and and the series, I would be over the moon. I'd be over the moon and everyone is, you know, so there's a strong separation. There's no, Hey, Roger runs all the series. So he's going to fix it for his team now. You know, that's not, that's not that the way Roger operates. And and also that's not in the health and in the benefit, you know, that's not beneficial to anybody. I think anyone that knows that the best, it's going to be Roger. So, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of concerns from that standpoint. It's, it's valid to bring it up, but you know, as far as the concerns, I don't think many have that at the moment. We have precedent as well in the fact that Roger was behind the duel in Detroit, the Detroit Grand Prix, what we started the conversation with, and it's not like Roger's won every race since he's taken taken it over. So True. that's something that uh, I've always taken comfort in, and I remind people whenever it comes up in conversation. But um, you found what I would assume, and you can nod yes or no, that you found a really wonderful racing home in Penske. But... It looks pretty clear to me that you followed a pretty typical route as a young kid of carts, Skip Barber, and then it looked, you went to Europe. It looked like your 
original intentions were Formula One. And I just wanted to get a sense, now that you're a multiple champion in IndyCar, what were your original intentions and how has your career tracked versus what you originally dreamed it? Uh, it's a good question. It's hard to say. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I didn't I didn't even think about professional racing as sort of an avenue for me, you know, in the future. I, I just, I started racing go-karts when I was 13 and I loved it. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, you know, it was my, became my passion. Uh, it became the place where all my friends were. So it was, you know, it was also my hangout spot. And um, yeah, I didn't think of it as, hey, one day I think I'm going to be a professional race car driver. I want to be a professional race car driver. And this is what I want to race in. But, you know, things progressed. So I started in 13 in carts and then you get into cars. And like you said, I, I traveled over to uh, England when I was 17 years old and I raced over there. And, and the. Well, not just anywhere. I'm sorry to interject, interject, but British Formula Ford is kind of the pinnacle series that a lot of people strive for that do eventually get into Formula One. Yeah. And, and you know, the but I think where I was going was that the big thing for going to. England and racing over in that environment was really the competitiveness of it. Um, and not that it's not competitive over here. It's actually more the comfort zone of it. You know, when you're an American and you, you have to go to a, a foreign country and race, I think that makes it a bit more intense. It, it adds some competitiveness personally to it. You know, it's it's a little bit easier if you grow up in this country and you just race here in America. There's there's more comfort built in. Um, it's a bit easier to feel secure and to feel safe when when you taken out of your comfort zone and you have to go compete at a high level. I think that adds a layer of. Um, I, I think it just adds a layer of learning, and it's it. I would say it's the same thing for guys that you get over here in in Indy Lights. You know, we have guys that come over from the Netherlands or from England or from Australia. It's the exact same thing for those guys. They come to America and they're not used to growing up here it's it's a comfort zone thing that they're not used to and i think it helps their educational curve and it helps them learn a little bit better so for me that was a big thing of, of going to england and yeah I, you know i wanted to compete in formula one but i also wanted to compete in everything to be honest with you i wanted to compete in indycar i still love nascar i'm a big fan of of that series and love sports car love Le Mans. so i don't know that i had my my number one goal set on one thing um, but Formula One was certainly on it. You know, I grew up watching Formula One races as a kid, you know, always wanted to one day be a part of that. Um, but my career didn't go in that direction. You know, I ended up having to come back to the States in 2010 and, you know, it all kind of fell. Luckily it fell into place for me and to, to get a path to go to IndyCar somehow. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been a great path. I think it would be the envy of the vast majority of race car drivers and race car driver hopefuls out there. Um, going back to 2019, you're now a seasoned IndyCar guy. Who was, I know that it's a deep field, but who was the one guy that you knew you always had to keep an eye on? Who was that other fast guy for 19? Oh, in 19, well, there's, man, there's so many now. Honestly, there is. It's not, you know, I'm not trying to dodge it. It's just there's there's a lot of guys. I think the core top five were, were always the ones you had to watch for. You know, Will Power, he's always in the mix. Um, Alexander Rossi, I think, has established himself as a guy that you always have to watch now, and he's always in the mix. Um, clearly, Simon Pagino, my teammate, you know, he's, he's there. Uh, and then um, Scott Dixon. You know, Scott's always been in the championship conversation. Always, always, always. Ever since he's been doing it, you know, from, from the early 2000s. So, I think you you see a theme there with that top five. They're they're 
They're generally the guys that are in the top five most races. They're generally the guys that are in the top five most championships now over the last three years. You see them more often in the fast six qualifying, those type of things, right? I mean, it's a group of them. You know, it's hard to single one of them out. I mean, that that core top five has really been, in my opinion, the, the... the, the people that are most impressive in the field. Sounds like the glory days of racing. I mean, there's a lot of names there that, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to go, wow, what a field this was. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, that's I'm just – I'm narrowing in the top five. There's, yeah. there's other people that are out there that you still have to watch and account for. But, you know, you can't just say one person, oh, this is the guy. You know, it's, it would be easy to say, oh, Scott Dixon, mm-hmm. he's the guy that you always got to account for. And I think that's partly true. But I'm telling you, everyone in that top five, they were all capable of winning the championship. And, and you had to account for each one of them. And so I love that we have that. It's so competitive now in IndyCar. You just can't take anything for granted. You know, you, you can't miss a beat. I mean, you miss the smallest detail and you get bounced out from the top 12. You don't even transfer to the next, you know, the, the second round in qualifying, not let alone the fast six. So it's a very difficult environment now, which I think the fans like and – you know, for us as drivers, it's it's fun and exciting, but it, it brings a lot of stress. Well, and the, and the season is so condensed. I mean, you can't have a bad month or a bad couple of races because it's over. I mean, you're, you guys run half as many races as NASCAR does, you know, so you can't have a couple of DNFs. Yeah, if you, dig, it's, if you dig yourself into a hole, it gets really, really difficult. I think Dixon's probably a good example mm-hmm. of that. You know, they had a couple wrecks at the worst time throughout the year, and they dug themselves yep. into this near 100-point hole you know it was a deficit and and they just couldn't quite claw themselves out of it you know sometimes you can it and it, you know it very it was very possible that they could have but it's just difficult it's nowadays it's difficult to get yourself in that sort of a deficit towards the end of the year and and, and it goes by fast like you say that happens mid-season you know it's a real grind to try and get back to the top before the end of the the calendar the thing i'm always curious about when you're in the championship season you're doing well, and you're good at math. It's those last couple of races where it's got to be inevitable that you start doing the calculus of like, what happens if I am here, or if this happens there, or what goes. What is what is the what is the key to staying mentally tough, mentally focused on the thing to do? But it seems to me that that's got to be difficult. It is, but I think when you try and when, when you try and deviate from your normal approach is when you get in trouble. That's, I mean, that's 100% when you're going to get in trouble. If you, if you try and do something different or you say, hey, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to take it easy here. You know, I'm not going to be aggressive at the start. As soon as you go, I'm not going to be aggressive at the start. That's when you wreck. You know, or that's when someone wipes into you. If you're just a little bit timid in the break zone into turn one, then all of a sudden you get hit from behind, you know, because you just weren't aggressive enough or you weren't in a normal position. Or maybe you have a braking pattern that people are used to, and now you're deviating from that, and someone didn't realize it, and they hit you. So uh, I think it's really important to continue your normal routine, drive at the similar you know, pace, drive at the similar level that you would all year. Um, but you do start calculating points you know, I went for sure in the finale. That's the one race you're going to calculate points and where you need to finish. But I would say probably the second to last race you're doing that as well. Um, I don't try. I, I try not to do that before that point. You know, so before we really get to the last couple of races, I don't really like to think points. I just go for maximum finish position possible. I think that's that's always been a good strategy. So <clears throat> you mentioned doing better in 2020. Is there anything specific that you yourself want to get better at like man i really want to be better at 
you know, qualifying, or I really want to be better at, you know, this kind of race setup, or God, I'd really love to run, run a mile in under five minutes or something like what is, have you set any personal goals for 2020? Oh yeah. There's always, yeah, there's always new goals. Here's the thing. The goalpost changes every year. You know, I think that if you look at, if you look at 2019, you know, we're going to say, okay, how do we qualify a bit better? It's not, we didn't qualify bad. We, I think we probably had the second average highest starting position. So it's not that it was bad, but it could be better. Um, but then you look at 2018 and, you know, we had more polls. I think our average start was even higher. So it, it's always a moving thing. Um, but for us, yeah, I mean, you know, we kind of break things up into street courses, road courses, short ovals and super speedways, which is the track types that we go to. And you look at where you were strong, where you were weak. You know, it's it, it completely flip flopped this year. We were we had a big deficit on street courses in 18 and we flipped that for 19. We were great on street courses in 19. Couldn't really ask for much better. We were very strong on road courses in 18, but then very weak in road courses in 2019. So, you know, exactly where we wanted to get better, we got better. But where we didn't want to lose, we ended up losing. And um, so now going into 20, I think we have to claw back our road course game. I think we were really weak there personally. Um, You know, you look at... Yeah, there's just a lot of examples. Road America is one of them. You know, we lost by a pretty healthy margin there. So road courses is is probably pretty high on our list. Short ovals was good. Um, super speedways, I, I think, need a little bit of work. You know, I think we made I think we made ourselves look better than we were on super speedways. You, know, you win the Indianapolis 500, it, it's a pretty good year on paper. But I think we still need to be stronger in in that type of realm. Um, and then you kind of break it down from there. You know, I'm talking like kind of just high level category, but We'll sit down with the engineers and go through the entire season and, and look at, you know, every little detail from each of those types of tracks and, and try and narrow in on where we can be better, where I can do a better job as a driver, where the team can be better, where our preparation can be better. We look at strategy, like why do we make the decisions we made for each race or each pit stop? I mean, it, it goes really detailed. It's just... It's hard to talk about it on a podcast because it takes forever. You know, we'll we'll sit in these engineering meetings. It's okay. We have forever. That's I mean, the that's the average length of time of a podcast. Forever. Yeah. We, we literally will. That's sit. what that's what our listeners say anyway, right? Yeah. We, we'll sit down for five hours. I mean, like just, that'll be one wow. meeting, one meeting of a roundtable of twenty people, engineers and drivers, and it'll take us five hours just to get through, you know, part of the topics, and we won't even cover everything. So, it's just a lot. I mean, it takes a lot of time to go through each little detail and get it right. Yeah. So looking, let's look a little bit past 2020. I'm curious, where did you, where do you, now that you're in this, now you're deep into racing, do you look at, man, I'd really love to race the Daytona 500, the 24 hours of Le Mans. And I'd really love to win the Dakar rally. Or, I mean, is, are there any things that you have, like, a bucket list? Or is, there, is there, like, a growing itchiness to try other things? Where's your head at? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I've been, I've, I've been trying to add races to my calendar for many years now. Um, <laughs> going on eight years, I've been trying to. And, and I, you know, at some point, I, I, I hope the opportunity will come up where I can, you know, put multiple events together outside of IndyCar. Um, it's, it's not been possible up to this point, unfortunately, but, uh, beggars can't be choosers. You know, I have a, I have an, an amazing opportunity with team Penske. I, you know, to start the year, I still, I still get to run the entire IndyCar series, which is a big deal. So my focus is there, 
you know, that, that is my job. That's what Rogers hired me, hired me for is to win the Indy 500 and win the championship in IndyCar. So I, I kind of stick to my job application, but believe me when I say I, I want to run a lot of other events. You know, Le Mans is on my list, uh, the 24 Hours of Daytona, um, pretty much all the endurance races in, in North America um, for, for IMSA is on my list. Um, I'd love to do some NASCAR stuff, to be honest with you. Like, I really, I really enjoy the NASCAR stuff. But, like, specifically, like, would you want to be, like, oh, it'd be cool, it'd be a road course specialist, and you go to the Glen, no, that I'd kind like of thing? No, I'd like to run, like, Bristol. You, like, okay. I want to run the oh, Bristol, Bristol Night Race, okay. yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, no, you're, you're, you're properly in it. Yeah, there's more. That's, like, number one, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, if I get to choose, it'd be, like, Bristol Night Race. Well, nice. Bristol is kind of, like, that's, like, a hard-headed, like, that, that's a proper NASCAR race. I mean, it's hard it's to get ama- more real. It's a unique what makes it so great is there's nothing like Bristol. Like, I mean, you know, NASCAR has all its types of tracks. Is it, is it, is that part of, is that your Tennessee blood talk coming out a little bit? <laughs> I don't think it is, man. I think if you're not from Bristol, people are like, Bristol looks awesome. You know, there's no, I wish we could run an IndyCar in Bristol, but you just can't. I mean, I've tried it on a simulator and it's not, <laughs> people are going to pass out if you do that. All right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's uh, the last question for me. Why Forza, not Gran Turismo? Oh, Forza to me is the, that's uh, the OG. That's the, that's the stuff. I grew up on Forza Motorsport. Okay. Um, I, I started, I started uh, playing Forza on their second version of the game. So I didn't play the original Forza Motorsport, but when Forza Motorsport 2 came out, this when I was racing go-karts, and I was, I was so into it. I, I, what I liked about Forza was that it was... Uh, it was one of those places you could get your fix as a racing driver. You know, weren't at the racetrack, and you're like, okay, I want to be at the track, I want to be driving laps. Well, on Forza, as people know that play, leaderboards was a, was a big deal back then. Like, you would go on and you'd play the game just to set leaderboard times. So whatever class you, you wanted to, to drive of cars, you know, they had like eight or ten classes of cars, and I would always choose the highest-end class. I think it was R1, or I forget what the class name was. And you would just... You'd get, the, you'd get the quickest car, and you'd go track to track to track, and there'd be you know, 2 million people on the leaderboards for each track, and you'd try and be top 10 or top 5, or top 100 was a big deal. Mm. And you'd work on setups, and you'd have to like, you know, you'd have to find these setup gurus that spent too much time on this game that made like the quickest setup for each track. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was like, it's a big pastime. I, I loved Forza Motorsport. It was a big game for me, so to, that's that's why I still play it today, and I'm kind of an ambassador for it. Well, Joseph, it was an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, and good luck in 2020. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And we're back with some cars. Uh, you're here with Wesley Wren, Andy Stoy, and Robin Warner. Hey, to, guys. To talk the Auto Week fleet. We're still doing it. We haven't killed it yet. Uh, still in the fleet, the GLS 450 is actually leaving tomorrow. I'm driving that home tonight. The Ford Explorer ST, which I still haven't driven. But Andy, you'll be spending all Thanksgiving. I am. It. I'll be taking that on a road trip up to uh, beautiful northern Michigan. Uh, we have a Land Rover, Range Rover, Sport, MHEV, and other acronyms and other things that we'll be talking about in depth here in a little bit. We also have a new Palisade, which uh, our Natalie Neff is driving all week. Um, a Mercedes Sprinter, which we'll dive into, a uh, Polestar, a Volvo V60 Polestar, which we will talk about next week, um, another Land Rover, which this one hopefully runs, and a Lexus, our new little fleet. It's a good point in time to mention that the Range Rover Sport runs just fine. It's been it's been great. 
As did our Jaguar. It just didn't play music. The, the it, it did not function in terms of the radio. Fair enough. Uh, it did run though. It did run, it, and it ran. It ran well. Yes. Um, but let's kick it off with this monster truck <laughs> of a gosh darn sprinter. The ride height on that well, thing is hilarious, that, and, and that's what I think we need to point out for our our viewers here. That when you picture sprinter, you're thinking about you know a, a van, UPS size van. This is not an ordinary sprinter. This is not what you see your Amazon boxes being no, dropped off with. No. This is a, a Sprinter 3500 XD crew van, which uh, it, it is a four-wheel drive. It's raised up. What would you say the distance between the tires and the wheel wheels on this thing? Uh, it was about not, 18 inches. I was going to say least a foot. Yeah. I was going to give it a foot. Fully murdered out. Black van with black steel, black wheels. steel wheels, black, uh, you know, blacked out tinted windows, uh, part cargo van. So it really was a five-passenger. Yeah. Um, diesel, obviously, all sprinters are, are diesels. This had the V6 diesel, um, it, and it was it looked like it was ready for the zombie apocalypse. I mean, it also, if you wanted to overland, just buy this uh, yeah. and, and throw a, throw a freaking I don't know an air mattress in the back. What I don't even know how you overland I, with that. You could throw, throw a, a studio bag. apartment in the back of this. You truly thing. could. So not only was it the off road, why would you lift, throw the studio apartment in the back? It is a studio. It apartment. is a studio. Yeah, it's, it's, well, you got to throw your kitchenette, your toilet. This could all be done. Um, not only was it lifted for off-road use for the 4x4, it also was the high roof. Yes, the high roof. Which um, which makes it about 18 feet tall. <laughs> you exaggerate, but not by a lot. And it, it does, you cringe when you first go through an overpass. Um, but you realize that it's not quite as, th- those are taller than they look. I, I will say that a toddler could dunk a basket from the top of a sprinter. And it would be because Standing they're jumping the down. Okay. Yeah, okay. Because they're jumping down to the basket. It is it is quite tall. Um, I was trying to find literature of how tall it was in the uh, user manual. Sadly, Mercedes did not offer that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is it is tall. But how how does it drive? Well, and that's the thing for for somebody who who needs an all wheel drive van, um, you know, with a ton of cargo carrying capability. A ton. So this is the thirty five hundred again. So it drove empty which is the way i drove it most of the time or with the kids um it, it drove like an ox cart because it was bouncing all over the place because those rear axles want weight but if you had an actual load in the back of this thing and a trailer behind it i guarantee you it would have been very happy now the weird thing to me is that it is a five passenger cargo van which means it's perfect if you were a touring van and just needed to uh, uh excellent also go off-road from time to time yes. so like a country western touring band that needs to hit the uh, occasional like a woodstock-esque yeah. sort of place yeah where you needed to get out into the mud um and this one did have snow tires too so that didn't help with the the sense of yeah of uh, very wiggly stability. yeah it was it was wiggly that's well well said but i still got and again this was with uh you know kids and driving mixed highway and city i got close to 19 miles to the gallon out of which is is pretty impressive for what this thing is. I mean, it's it's a ten foot tall brick basically yeah. flying through the air, so you're not going to expect much in terms of diesel fuel economy. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I drove it. I had, I had it for a couple nights. I'm pretty sure my neighbors are convinced I'm doing something illegal, <laughs> not only from the revolving uh, cycle of supercars, but also just the weird stuff I bring home, like an industrial 4x4 yeah, Sprinter. that blacked out Sprinter will make people think you're in, in, involved in something yeah. nefarious. Uh, whether I am or not, yeah. uh, none of their business. But I thought it drove, I mean, all Sprinters drive great. We can agree there. This was an interesting experiment in driving something huge. Which, I mean, the Sprinter's great. 
Well, you know, I've driven but, I've driven various sprinters. I've driven much larger ones than this, um, done with like Airstream conversions okay. and stuff. And it's a lot of it's got to do with the way the suspension is set up on this this particular sprinter. It was designed to be a very rugged, very heavy, heavily yeah. loaded regularly vehicle. And this I think not. that's a critical component yeah. is payload. Yeah, I mean, this thing could probably take more than a ton of payload, yeah. and, well, I mean, and it I would be just fine doing that. I mean, I had my just, backpack, my lunchbox. Yeah. How much does that weigh? We're we're not talking specifically about density necessarily, Ren. But I, I uh, mostly move overall weight. I mostly move uranium in my backpack, so it was pretty heavy. <laughs> Price wise, we started this thing out, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to look at this, understand this Monroni a little bit better, this window sticker, because it's a fifty thousand six hundred and ninety dollar van MSRP, but that is not the all wheel drive. That's that's probably the thirty five hundred. The all-wheel drive package adds almost $8,000 to the price. And then this had a, a lot of modern, it was a very strange combination in the interior of modern Mercedes, large LCD screens, and then industrial plastics. But it ended up at a net price of $71,496 for the one that we had, which again, if you need something with this capability. Where, where else are you going to get it? Right. I mean, that's what you're going to pay for one of these loaded, um, you know, half-ton pickup trucks yeah. these days anyway. So. Ooh, which we did just review. We, we just had the uh, diesel, eco-diesel Ram. So, and they were priced, they're priced similarly. It was 68 and change, I believe, yeah. So, I mean, you're at a Daimler Chrysler dealership. And I can tell you that picking the kids up from school in the Sprinter apocalypse van, it'll make you a hero. Yeah, yeah. Um, just make sure they don't think you're like... Picking up different kids because <laughs> yeah, that, that is a they are mine. Trust me. Yeah, don't offer candy yes. from the side the of it. Kid, well, even it's still, it's just that it looks like a it look, the van makes you look like you're up to no good, even if you're up to only good. All vans are good. All vans are good, especially minivans. Um, but so it's priced similarly to a Ram. You're at a Daimler Chrysler dealership. They didn't get the memo. They didn't realize that uh, they, they kind of parted ways. You're looking at a new Ram. You're looking at this. What are you gonna buy? Uh, that's kind of apples and oranges there, man. Yeah. They're priced similarly. Lots of things are priced similarly. That's true. That's true. But, I mean, I don't know. This uh, Sprinter is hilarious, and, uh, yeah. I'm glad Mercedes put it into the fleet, because this was an unusual one. I, I think they, they had a good laugh when they were oh, absolutely. specking this it. van out for the uh, for the press fleet. So, I'm sure you'll see more of it both online at, at Auto Week and... And possibly at other sites. Yeah, and also, I mean, we gotta take some pictures of this for social media because it is, gosh darn, it's so funny. It just looks so funny. Um, yeah, if you'd like to see pictures at Andrew Stoy on Twitter, ooh. I, I did post a couple of shots of it. Nice. Um, what else are we talking about on this fine drives reviews section, this fleet section? I believe Robin was driving a rangey, a little Range Rover. Yes, it is the. Are you ready for it? It is the. 2019 Land Rover Range Rover Sport HST with the uh, MHEV is mild hybrid engine. It's all new. It is a 19 and a half model year, according to Jaguar Land Rover. 19 model year officially. And it is for those keeping track of car prices today. We eighty-two thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars. And that's before destination. Which would, uh, if you include that, put you at 83 and a bit. I have to look at the exact figure. Up, oh, yep. 83, oop, nope, 84, $245. So you can get a hell of a sprinter for that price. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's right. 
but and, at, and as, the payload's much higher. Yeah. As delivered, we're looking at 105, 170 and change. Yeah, this is not a cheap Ranger, but it is a very beautiful. It's got this uh, carbon fiber trim inside. It's got a nice, nice leather interior. Um, everything works. And uh, all-wheel drive. And uh, considering all the good bits here, it's, you know, the 400 horsepower, it's actually U.S. spec. It's 394 horsepower and uh, a lot of torque we've got you've got plenty of pickup it's an eight speed automatic transmission that works really well um it's a 48 volt system um that's the mild hybrid bit so start stop turns off and starts back up really quickly and you know as in a lot of range rovers when when they work they work phenomenally well it's just they're prone a little bit more than the other manufacturers to not work sometimes it's part of the charm of owning a rangy. Um, uh, quick question though: the three liter. Why, why, why choose the three liter over that V eight? Well, they uh, they claim a fuel economy of nineteen city, twenty five highway, twenty one combined, which I think has the V eight beat comfortably. I don't have the figures right in front of me, but I'm going to have them in front of me in just a moment. So, um, pause on that. It, it the fuel economy is reasonable. The, I mean, if you're dropping almost, or you're dropping over 100 grand on a Range Rover, do you care about fuel economy? Well, of course, everyone cares about fuel well, economy. I think, I think the bigger question here is, does that powertrain net you the coveted California HOV oh. sticker? Um, and I don't know the answer to that, but that that, that, I, that would be I the. I think that's a, a big part of the purchase purchase decision for a lot of folks in in California. Getting in that diamond lane. Yep. We have no such thing here in in Michigan. No, we just have a. The slow lane, the faster lane, and the fastest lane. The texting lane. Yeah, the text, texting and driving lane. Yeah, and it's the HOV sticker is a really good point. Uh, it has poshness. It's also, I think, kind of like the 21st century barstool argument is like, you know, how clean your vehicle is compared to others. So if you can say, oh, well, mine, you can, you can claim technically that yours is a hybrid, even though. We're, we're just barely scratching the surface here. The V8s, by the way, are 16 city, 21 highway, 18 combined. So, you know, a decent chunk behind the inline six. And performance-wise, you know, you're not giving up much here at all. But you are giving up that fantastic uh, Jaguar Land Rover V8 sound, which is uh, probably the only one of the main reasons I would buy a Range Rover Sport. So I can fire it up and just bang it off the rev limiter and annoy my neighbors. Yeah, no, that's fair. And, you know, you are you are more than 100 horsepower behind because you get, uh, you know... You which, get, which you need in an SUV. You need, you need as much horsepower as humanly possible. Absolutely, right? Because you, um, you got to get to the mall in time for the sale. Well, and you have to get home from the mall in time for recital. <clears throat> yeah, but, I mean, okay. So, practically, it's got all the all-terrain stuff, you know, the different drive modes. It's got an air suspension that will raise and lower. It, it lowers whenever you're getting in and out of the car, so it's surprisingly easy to get in, in and out of. We have a silver car with a red interior, so it's, you know, a touch-ish, and it's a Land Rover, so it's never that subtle, but it's touch on the subtle side and the outside, but it's plenty loud on the inside. And I do have to say Loud in terms of color, right? In, Not terms, in terms of, of color, actual, yeah. Uh, and and it is actually quite quiet yeah. inside when you're going down the interstate. But the um, the carbon tri- carbon fiber trim, in my opinion, is, is executed well. It's a matter of taste whether you actually like it or not. But. Well, that carbon fiber trim that has to sh- shave what 
one to two pounds off the uh, the curb weight there? Uh, at least one to two ounces. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How much do how do you know how much that package was? The cost of the carbon fiber package. Oh, let's see oh. if it was on the Monroney. Let's, let's, we're looking at the Monroney, just seeing. Ba, 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 Carbon ba. fiber exterior pack, $3,500. Oof. Well, that, if you don't get that, that drops us below hundred grand, which makes it a good buy. Um, but how is it on the road, Robin? I haven't had a chance to drive it yet. It's it's quite good. I mean, genuinely. it. it I think this is pretty common of, it, to a certain extent, all Jaguars and Land Rovers... Um, definitely the Land Rovers, they, they actually, all of them drive quite nice. I think they look nice and they do, um, still have the off-road chops, whether they're actually used or not. They still legitimately have the off-road chops to maneuver more or less anywhere you want. But I mean, (laughs) they're never used that way. No, of course not. uh, we, we had a nice healthy snowstorm and it, behave through that with no trouble at all does it what, do you know what tires it has on it it's, it's, it's an all-season okay all-terrainy all-season but it drives quite nice it's easy to get comfortable it it it, ex, it cruises on the interstate around 2000 rpm nice and quiet and uh never an issue with passing and uh its handling behavior is quite reasonable considering that we're talking about a big three uh big not three row but big suv and well it's big enough to hold your uh gaming rig that's right that's right i currently have my um my uh, driving force feedback steering wheel driving frame in it as we speak which is uh not made of uranium but uh, uh only plutonium that's right so it's just you know they have the reputation of not being the most reliable things out there i don't know you guys keep making the case for the sprinter here that driving rig would definitely fit better in the sprinter i'm beginning <laughs> to think that maybe that is the the ultimate vehicle. you could throw that dri- you could throw that driving rig in there you yeah. could a tv you can throw a miata in there while you're at it yeah, once again the answer is always sprinter but the sprinter especially the one we have now i'd be concerned about not even that low hanging branches you know there <laughs> that yeah, thing is concerned le- about the branches for the branches sake for yeah. the branches sake the, yeah i do believe that car is stronger than branches yes. that's that's your new band name oh str- it's stronger stronger than, than branches yeah but yeah i like i like the range rover a lot i think it it provides it provides a lot of the luxury that land rover wants you to think it has and it provides enough of the off-road chops to still make it legitimate in uh, for the old faithful and uh and it, it you know it it's a lovely it's a lovely thing to be in for you know i have heated steering wheel heated seats you know the um the uh infotainment uh, sorry andy but the infotainment system works well and uh the one there is one little uh fun note there it the there's this odd delay, and I'm call it a Lucas Electronics moment. There's an odd delay from putting it in reverse and getting the backup camera to come on. And sometimes you'll be backing up and you'll get a pause in the backup camera and then a kind of a skip. So if you're just looking at the backup camera, there'll be like every once in a while these little like step changes. <laughs> so you have to be aware. You have to be aware I, of that. I would expect no less than a hundred and five thousand dollars. Well, in a car in a car this cheap, you can definitely skimp yeah, out on the backup yeah, camera. The last uh, last Kia I was in didn't do that. And here's another one. So uh, my I'm, girlfriend Civic, it doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer. I'm a <laughs> believer. I'm a big fan of podcasts. So I I always same. I always uh, Bluetooth connect my phone to the cars, 
but it defaults to your your iTunes playlist or whatever. Oh, that's and the thing unless your podcast has paused, ready to play again, like that was the last thing playing. And if you switch it after the car's already running, that cuts off the Bluetooth. Like so, it doesn't work. So you it's totally it's, reasonable. It, there's these like total like no one would ever want to change what they're listening to so while they're driving. Lucas I'm, Electronics moments. I'll so call. What I'm ca- hearing here is that the Sprinter's better. So far, so yeah. far points for the Sprinter, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Does a does a Sprinter have Bluetooth connection? Oh, it, it doesn't. It's great. Yeah, heated seats too. I think just one speaker, but it, yeah, it's you know. good enough. <laughs> Mono worked for a lot of years. Uh, yeah, I mean, worked for the Beatles. Yeah, for like six years. To stop wanting to be the Beatles yeah. anymore. So but what uh, else do we have to talk about? Is there anything that can beat the Sprinter on this list? Uh, I mean, on-road, maybe 0 to 60. We can look at the ST. But uh, no, the Sprinter can basically trample everything we have yeah. and then throw the remains. Yes. We can car- you can cart it to the dump. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on, I think next week, after some other people get a chance to drive it, the we'll talk the Palisade. Uh, I'm a big fan of the whole Kia and Hyundai uh, new line of crossovers that they're throwing out. Yeah, I've driven that uh, elsewhere, not the one that we have in the fleet. Yeah. Well, hold on, though. But we're, when we're in big Luxo box SUVs, we should talk about the GLS for a moment, don't you think? That Mercedes-Benz big old boat of a thing we had? I mean, we can't bring the Monroney. That's okay. It was expensive. It was very expensive. Because it's a GLS. So we can we can start there. Let's Tell me how it drives. Let's Let's go there. Well, it drives definitely like a modern Mercedes. Um, it accelerates well. It brakes well. It's very uh, adequate in all of its findings. Um, MBU- I, I, I know you're a fan of it, Andy, but I, I am not liking the MBUX. It, that's that's one of the most frustrating parts of this. And that is list. the Mercedes-Benz user experience. Yep, I want my dial. I want my dial back. I want my rotary dial, dial I, back. I will say this about it, and and you're actually incorrect. I, I've preferred the rotary dial too. Okay, okay. Um, but the this one has the new uh, Mercedes Virtual Assistant, which is you say, "Hey Mercedes," and then you can talk to your car and ask it to do things. It is unbelievably sensitive. You cannot have a really conversation sensitive. about a car that mentions the word Mercedes in it without the digital assistant chiming in. And I can, I could not replicate this, but talking to my son. To get it to not come on, I spelled the name out like when you're trying to fool your dog into things, and it still came oh, on. Oh, you monsters. <laughs> but that means you can't talk about the emo band, Hey Mercedes. Yep. You can't talk about your friend, Mercedes. Right. And uh, I have many friends named Mercedes. I Most of my friends are named Mercedes. And if you have conversations about cars in the car, as we frequently do, yeah. it is absolutely maddening. And if there's not a way to turn this off, I would put my fist through the dashboard at some point. Yeah, and I'm sure someone is going to do that. It's not going to be good. Otherwise, though, it was a, a really nice driving vehicle. I found the suspension a little bit wiggly on um, comfort mode. Um, almost, I don't want to say, you know, 70s domestic body on frame style, but it it felt like it was moving around more than I expected it to. I think that might have been tire related. It could very well be. I think it, they put snows on it. Makes a makes a huge difference. So, but otherwise, you know, it's very quiet, comfortable. The um, forty eight volt mild hybrid so EQ good. system, yeah, so good. It, it really fixes the issues with stop start. Yeah, in that the car spools up, the motor gives it a little bit of a shove. So by the time you're putting your foot on the gas to move away from the light, everything's ready to go. So. Yeah, and I mean it's Mercedes, so the interior is absolutely yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yep. it's if you're looking for a huge three row crossover or whatever SUV, call what you want. Why would, I mean, if you, if you can afford it, why would you look anywhere else? And they're out of sprinters. And they're out of sprinters, of course. Well, and a, you, you have a sprinter for work. Right. 
uh, GLS for family functions and an AMG GT for fun. You could put the GLS in the back of the Sprinter. You truly could. You truly could. And they're not that expensive, considering what we're talking about here. You're going to be out 75, 76 well, grand. Starting price is 75.2. This one was over six figures. Yeah. And look, it, just like anything German these days, it's super easy to option them up and you get standard this luxury thing but optional you really have to have this luxury thing over here and uh, well and that's before we even get into the real luxury ones like the Maybach which we talked about last week right. or the but we AMG. are talking about the GLS 450 which is the lower end of the two the other one's the 580 and uh and it's still plenty you know it's a 3 liter V6 instead of a V8 and it's uh it's 3 liter V6 9 speed automatic Robin, I think that's a straight six. Yeah, oops, I'm sorry, I misspoke. I meant uh, straight six. And uh, since uh, you brought it up, it is 362 horsepower straight six with 369 pound-feet of torque. And it is an inline straight six with EQ boost. Mm -hmm. The 48-volt mild hybrid system. Yes. Um, Fuel economy's not too bad. 23 on the highway, 19 in the city, 21 combined, which, you know, these days isn't great. But... You know, considering its size and everything it does, you know, all-wheel drive, all that. It's I mean, fine. Again, if you're spending six figures on a car, how much do you really care about fuel economy? It's not about, see, it's not about the cost. See, you, it's, it's now your assistant, the, your assistant fills it up. Right. It's how, it's how much you're being part of the solution right. instead and of part of the I problem. Yeah, I don't think you're being fair that even if I had, you know, that kind of money to, to be able to throw away on something I don't want to throw away but to, to buy to be in the market for something like this as a daily driver I would still be cognizant of you know I, I don't want to be getting 10 miles to the gallon no. it's just not the person I am no for sure but I mean the fact that it's getting 19 in the city versus 18 on a competitor and 20 on another yeah. competitor yeah Does, that, that's matter. probably not going to be a, a significant if, if if it were getting six that would yeah. that, that'd be yeah I mean the one I would pick probably but it, it wouldn't be the one to one to buy probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's all fair. And you know, if you think about it in grand total cars like this for people like this, they tend to not get 25,000 miles a year, you know, tending more get five to 10. And uh, because you have other cars for other activities, that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it's a relative number, but I think it's a number that plays more and more of an important role in today's, in today's world. So something to be cognizant of. And something else to be cognizant of, listening to the podcast thank you for listening uh thank you for downloading thank you for leaving comments and if you haven't left a comment please go rate us on itunes give us five stars uh leave a nice note and remember tell a friend <laughs>